podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes funny, and always entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Hi there, this is Elaine Arditsoni with On the Front Burner. I'm here with Don Williamson. Hi, Don. Hi, how are you, Elaine? Doing great today. Great. We want to finish up our conversation that we had last time about the shortage of cooks in restaurants, which is kind of an important thing if you think about it. Yeah, I'll say. Um, we uh, and and with so many restaurants opening, they had two thousand restaurants open in L.A. Be, you know more than they did. Two years ago. So how could that be true? Just in L.A. there are 2,000 new restaurants. Just in L.A. there were 2,000 new restaurants. And in the United States, that's a problem across the board. And the National Restaurant Association says that two years ago, only 15% of their members talked about labor shortage being an issue. Now that number has more than doubled. 37%. Of restaurant owners say labor shortage is the problem, and that they can't. It's mostly cooks, right? That they can't find. It's mostly cooks. Yeah. That that's the issue, and it's not just finding cooks like we talked about last time. Yeah, but it's finding qualified cooks or people who can be trained properly, right? Or people yeah. that can be trained yeah. properly. But the issue is, where do you get the training? Well, you got to start thinking out of the box. You got to start thinking out of the box. We talked a little bit last time about programs in Cincinnati and Cleveland and DC and LA and Washington State, and we've got programs like that right here in San Diego. Yeah, the Kitchens for Good, right? And Kitchens for Good is one of those programs. Probably others that I don't even know about yet. Mm-hmm. And and we'll come back to you at other times during the year because this problem isn't going away and we'll talk about it. But we have talked to a few folks. Today we're going to talk to a restaurant owner and executive chef who has used Kitchens for Good and has had to actually deal with being a small business and not having the labor force or the money to pay the labor force or the foot traffic to meet it. We're going to talk to someone from Kitchens for Good and kind of find out how they are and what they work. And maybe most importantly, we're going to talk to a young woman who has had a difficult life, who has gone to Kitchens for Good and is now working in the restaurant business and sees it as a whole new vista for her. I actually can't wait to um, hear that whole thing because she sounds so dynamic and really on top of her game. And you, it's the kind of, she's the kind of person that you would not, I think when we all have these preconceived ideas of somebody coming from a troubled background or from 
prison or wherever they uh, wherever they were previously, we always kind of have this idea that they're going to be a troublemaker or they're not going to be as qualified. They're not going to be as good. They're not going to be. They're going to be a little bit introverted. They're not going to be as smart, right, or whatever. As yeah, capable. And you never know what mm-hmm. someone's. You know, everyone's got different situations that happen in their life, and you don't know why things happen, but. People that can pull themselves out of it, man, she is really impressive. I'm excited to hear what she had to say. And one other thing that I think we forget so often, and we touched on it last time, and we may and we'll hear it today a little bit. Everybody has a past. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> everybody has issues. Everybody has concerns. Yeah. And we've got to start preconceiving people. Yeah. Okay, let's get started. First thing I want us to do is listen to someone who has hired people from Kitchens for Good, hired people from difficult backgrounds. And he had a history of that. Um, our first chef, Chef Oz, who owns Cueva Bar, used to work in the poultry industry hmm. in Virginia, where there really are some difficult working and hiring and money situations. Yeah. So he came here understanding that you can find gold in a lot of places you might not expect it. Here's Chef Oz. We've been uh, here for about over eight years now. And how large a staff do you have? We have four, uh, six people working with us. Mm-hmm. That includes the front of the house and the back of the house. Everywhere in the country that I've looked and people I've talked to, folks are talking about they're having a hard time keeping staff, especially back of the house, especially cooks. Have you had that problem? I don't feel like I've had that problem. Uh, I feel we're uh, such a small place that we, you know, we don't have a high need for a large team, especially because as the industry has changed, we've been um, adjusting to it. You know, we've been adjusting to the, the, the amount of uh, labor that are out there, the amounts, the amount of hours that were open, you know, um, to feed the needs of what Cueva Bar um, can do and the amount of uh, support in, in general that we have as you know like business wise so what hours are you open then we are open Tuesday through Saturday uh, from 4 p.m. Uh, until about 10:30 p.m. so has it always been that way did you start out trying to do lunch or breakfast and that or something like that and did you have to change we did when we first opened uh, you know, survival. We were open lunch straight through dinner. So we used to open Monday through Sunday, uh, seven days a week, uh, from um, 10 a.m. at first, and we would have our closing time 10 p.m. Quickly, we realized that wasn't working, uh, especially because I was here most of the, you know, I was actually here all the time. I was the one opening the restaurant and closing the restaurant. So staffing has had something to do with the hours that you are open now? Uh, more in regards to the cost of running the business, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. One of the things that's come up in other cities is people, re- chefs, restaurant owners, have started looking in non-traditional places for their help. I know here in San Diego, we have Kitchens for Good, Mm -hmm. and um, you've had some success going to them. I'd like you to tell me a little bit about how you found out about them 
why you decided to use them, and then we'll talk a little bit about what kind of success you've had. Of course. I mean, in the, in the restaurant industry, it's, it's, a const, it's a constant revolving door. How soon that happens, it's a, you know, I mean, it depends. Um, obviously, we would like to have a consistent team, you know, for the longest time, but that is not the case. So, uh, I think five, six years ago, um, it's the first time I started working with them. And I only needed one person at that time. And it was a successful, it was a successful adventure. Um, this person, as you mentioned, have had some trouble in, in, in her life. And when, when our first employee for the kitchen came to work with us, I know that, that this employee, she was working two jobs. She was working here at Cueva Bar, and she was working at another place in town. Um, nonetheless, she was really hardworking, and she was showing up, getting the work done, and, and that's, that was it. You know, no trouble, nothing. She was open to follow direction. After seeing this, the success of, you know, working with kitchens for good, I've always gone back to them uh, anytime we need uh, help in the kitchen. The reason why I decided to work with them is because in my past um, professional life in human resources, uh, when I lived on the East Coast, uh, the uh, poultry plants that I worked with uh, started working with programs such as, you know, working with people that, yeah, they have been in trouble with the, you know, in, in the system, in the law, um, but we're not, you know, these, these were people that were not going to come and create havoc in your workplace. And all they needed was um, an opportunity to, to get back and, and, you know, be a, a productive member of society. So I have had previous experience sort of dealing with these type of programs. So you had no reservations at all. You had no thoughts about, gee, I don't want to bring in somebody that has been on drugs or has been in prison. My only concern is always just the safety of my team. Uh, but I don't have, I, I'm, I'm not prejudiced towards people who've been in jail or have gotten in trouble. And I mean, like, who am I? You know, who am I to judge anybody? Uh, specifically because, as you probably have seen the news and, and things like that, People in the restaurant industry do drugs. People in the restaurant industry drink heavily and party hard. And maybe the only difference is that they're a little smarter or or not as extreme in their activities that they haven't gotten in trouble with the law. Other than that, I mean, you know, we're just so humans and I don't judge anybody who does drugs or, or have been in jail. So how many employees have you had in your five or six years connecting with Kitchens for Good from there? How many employees have you gotten? Uh, I said about ten. Ten? Yeah. And most of that, most of that's been successful? Most of them have been, have been successful. Um, for example, the first uh, employee that we've had from Kitchens for Good, uh, she worked with us for about a year and a half, almost two years, and then she just moved on into a, a bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another guy that I know, he was working in the industry until he, in his own words, got a uh, job of his dreams, you know. So he was working with us and worked with us until he finally got an opportunity to work in other type of industry. So I think that's a, that's a you know, a, a successful uh, story. You know, Cueva Bar was a transition for him. Uh, you know, Kitchens for Good, then Cueva Bar, and finally landed a spot where he wanted to be. So I feel 
you know that we had a few successful stories coming through Cueva Bar. And I understand your manager now is from Kitchens for Good. Our sous chef. It's uh, sous chef. Our sous chef is mm-hmm. uh, from Kitchens for Good. Okay. And how long how long have you had that person? Uh, three months. So that's good. That's great. Have you had some that weren't so successful? I yes, of course, of course. I uh, they were a couple of maybe three of them that came to work and during the first two weeks or so we could tell that the kitchen was probably not what they're you know meant to do um and they didn't last and gave us so you know two weeks notice and you know went on their own way and i've never heard back of you know about them anymore two employees were tattooed from head to neck and i had a couple of employees that were concerned and i was like well why are you concerned about you know i hear you tell me specifically why well uh, because of the of, uh, because of uh, the looks, I'm like, well, that's not a reason to be concerned, you know. I mean, <laughs> tattoos again have, I think, a, a misconception uh, in society. You know, it doesn't matter if you have tattoos or not. You can be working with somebody who is clean, look and cut and everything, and you know, next thing you know, there's a fight. You know, that's but no, not not a cueva bar. And like I said specifically, we had two employees who I think in society are seen. Um, as troublesome, but they were the coolest people, calm, smiling, you know, with a good attitude. They just were not, I guess, meant to be in the kitchen. Regardless of how we turn this, it comes back to money sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the complaints that I've talked to chefs, other chefs about, and read about and researched is that line cooks, people in the back of the house make so much less money than the servers. And uh, laws in California don't allow you to make that equitable. Do you see that as a problem? And what way do you see to correct that? I definitely see that as a problem. There isn't, you know, um, at the same time, I feel... Honestly, nobody has the answer. I don't really think every you know anybody has a concrete answer. But my point of view, everyone's got their skills. What would be to me a possible solution is to have employees who can be cross-trained. You know, so you basically switch, you, you're, you're rotating people around. Now that is a little hard to do because not everyone in the kitchen has the ability to come and present the food and and, and make the the customers welcome which is what you hope is the front of the house, you know, employees have that ability. So it's not to defend the fact that they need to make more. At the same time, you have, like you said, the laws, the regulations, and all the, you know, uh, legislations in, in our state, in our, lo- in our local government, even San Diego local government. Um, I feel they're flawed. They're not sound, and they don't take everything into consideration. So while there are many variables, I don't know exactly what would be the balance of all those variables in place. Okay, that was Chef Oz Blackalder of Cueva Bar. Uh, he's kind of a unique sort of employer, don't you think? Yeah, he's he's a dynamic guy. And, you know, as much as you could have mixed results with hiring somebody who's got a troubled past— Let's be honest, we have mixed results with everybody we hire. They may come from the best school and the best 
you know, referrals and sometimes they don't work out for whatever reason. Maybe it's the work environment. Maybe it's their personality or they clash with somebody. You never know. So or sometimes, you know, they're just bad characters and haven't gotten caught. Well, that's true. You know, I just think that we... Let's look at Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. Look at Wall Street. Okay. Yeah, and, and I thought it was interesting that uh, the chef has worked with Kitchens for Good for the past five or six years, has hired 10 people from there. And uh, Yeah, I want to talk to him about that actually myself. I think that's really um, – the program is so interesting. And I know we, you spoke to someone from Kitchens for Good as well, right? I did. I talked to Steve Kiefer. Steve is the executive chef and general manager there. For five years before that, he was at Father Joe's Villages, where he was executive chef and in charge of their culinary program. You know what's interesting? Sorry, I have to stop you, but I would never have really considered Father Joe's Villages as having an executive chef or Kitchens for Good as having an executive chef. And of course, I mean, these are big programs. That's that uh, preconceived notion. Exactly. I know. They're feeding homeless people. They just yeah, throw that stuff together and they're happy to get it. Right. But no, they have menus, they teach yeah. culinary and they and as you will hear from Steve shortly, um, they have a catering project where they make as fancy as you want it. As hmm. I was saying, he was at Father Joe's for five years. He's been with Kitchens for Good since August. And uh let's listen to him a little bit. Cool. I'm with Steve Kiefer, uh, executive chef and uh, general manager at Kitchens for Good. If I had to ask you, Steve, in just in a nutshell, what is Kitchens for Good? What would you tell me? It's a jobs program for uh, cooks to go out in the field. It's uh, 10 weeks of intensive uh, knife skills, recipe reading, teamwork, uh, sanitation, it's a training program, first and foremost. Secondly, we uh, rescue food so that we can teach our students how to read a recipe, cut, learn their knife skills. Um, now, I know I've got people out there that have no idea what it means when you say rescue food. What is that? A good example would be farmer's markets. What do the farmers do with their produce that they don't sell? Uh, we have a group of people called Produce Good that go by and collect that, and they bring it here to donate it. It's perfectly good food that would otherwise end up in the landfill. Okay, great. And so you say farmers markets, but also wholesalers do that. Specialty produce, uh, Costco, a lot of different uh, entities will do that. They're becoming more and more aware of what's going on in our landfill. Is that something restaurants could do more of? I think so. I really do think that they could do that. I think they're headed that way right now. Okay. Um, so you say we've got a training program here. Who are we training? We are training people that are coming out of prison, aging out of foster care, uh, and other types of programs. We run through uh, one of the only apprenticeship programs in California, which is run by Department of Labor. And... That's a 2,400-hour. It's like the old-school apprenticeship programs that we went through where we keep tabs on them. We have alumni meetings. Uh, the intern at places like Solari, uh, Cueva Bar and Grill, uh, the Bernardo Winery, and then they go on. They assess their skills and go from there. When I talk to... Uh some chefs, there's still a resistance to 
wanting to get folks that have been to prison or former addicts and and folks that have had troubled backgrounds. What's your answer to folks who are resistant to that? Give some of our students a test because we don't not, not only just do the knife skills, we do soft skills. Uh, we help them get past that stigma of backgrounds. You know, here we teach them to to think forward. Everybody has a past. Uh, there isn't anybody in this industry that doesn't have one. doesn't mean that people are bad uh, if they have a desire to cook. I think some of the stigma is, is that, well, they have a past, so they're not going to show up. We started this class with 19. We're on week five. We have 19. And they come back for more with a smile on their face. And your class is when you say 10, 12 weeks? Uh, 10 weeks of knife skills or of straight cooking, uh, whether it's catering, uh, working, doing our kids' mail program, Project Nourish. They do a two-week internship and graduate. So our students from day one are employees. So that teaches them the responsibility of being here and collecting a paycheck. So when we have a catering, the students are actually on the clock, whether it be front of the house, learning those skills, or in the back of the house, learning the catering. So our catering program is what we call a social enterprise. And that social enterprise feeds into how we fund. So they're not just doing uh, hamburgers and hot dogs and asking, would you like fries with that? They're learning how to uh, confit a duck. They're learning, it depends on the, on the uh, party. You know, we have one coming up where they're going to be doing uh, airline chicken breast that's grilled and then stuffed with fresh mozzarella, toasted pine nuts, uh, uh, fresh spinach, things like that. So it's not just how to plate at, uh, you know, 12, 3, and 7. And we're talking about actual catering jobs, jobs you bid for, jobs you're paid for. Correct. And jobs that help sustain this program. Correct. So it's kind of a self-sustaining mode that you're trying to create. Correct. So you, as you said, you hired four of the folks from Kitchens for Good yourself, so you Correct. had direct experience when you came here. That's great. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. No and, problem. Uh, no time. Looking forward to working with you. All right. Thanks, Don. Mm-hmm. So, Kitley, that was a little bit about Kitchens for Good. Yeah, it's really an amazing program. I think maybe in the future we ought to dedicate a program to looking at Kitchens for Good because there are a lot more aspects to it, and I'm really excited about the food rescue. Uh, Their catering project is interesting, and the way they try to be self-sustaining through their operations, I think, is really unique. So we'll have to look more at that. Yeah. But when we talk yeah, I want to understand more about. I'd like to go over there and maybe see it in action when there are actually people. You know, when they're in class, I think that'd be really a cool visit. We can do that. Boy, what a change in life, huh? That's true. Because uh, the next person we're going to hear is a young woman that spent uh, five years in and out of prison on drugs. Um, had been come estranged from her family, uh, didn't talk to her parents or her children. Now she's a sous chef at a local restaurant. Family's proud of her, and more importantly, she's proud of herself. Oh my gosh! Let's listen so to awesome. her. So I'm here with Melinda Rodriguez. Melinda, thanks for being here with us today. Hi, Don. Thank you for having me. Right. Um, 
And we're here at Cueva Bar, and this is your job. What do you do here? I'm a sous chef here at Cueva Bar. How long have you been a sous chef? I've been here almost five months. Wow, that's pretty good. But before Cueva Bar, you weren't a sous chef. What were you doing? I was going to Kitchens for Good. And before Kitchens for Good? I was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. I had, um, it was my third term, and I was incarcerated at Las Colinas. So you did three terms in, 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 in prison for a total of about how many years? Uh, my first incarceration was 2008. Yeah, so um, I've been incarcerated in total about five years. And that was in, involving drugs and, and, and the things that go along with that? Yes. Tell me how you get from prison to Cueva Bar with a responsible job. What happened in, in, in between there? Well, Kitchens for Good is what happened. Mm-hmm. The opportunity that they gave me. Um, when I was incarcerated in Las Colinas, I had a counselor who you meet up with, and she was asking me about what would I like to do? What are my passions? What are my dreams? And my dream is always to be, to be a, as a chef. Always to be a chef. Where yes. did that come from? Um, I've always liked to cook my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I always made up my own recipes. Even if we had nothing in the house really to eat, I always made something out of nothing, you know? It was great. And I got an A+. That's great. Yes. That must have made you feel great. Oh, my confidence went through the roof. I felt so confident, and at that moment, I felt like, I got this. I can do it. I'm just as good as anybody else. One of the things that happened when I talk to people that have come from difficult backgrounds and go through something like this is they say, I finished something. I, com- I finally completed something, and that made all the difference. Did you, did, you, did you understand or feel that too? Yes, I did. I did. I, um, actually, why I was in Las Colinas, from what I understood is that you had to have a high school diploma to be able to go to apprenticeship programs. So I got my high set in there because that was my goal to, make sh- to try to go to Kitchens for Good. And um, when I got out, I got to go to Kitchens for Good. And I completed it, and yes, I felt I very felt very successful. I did something that Melinda wanted to do, something that's going to better my life, that's going to give me a career, not just a job. I have a career now. When people ask me what do I do, I tur- they turn heads when I say I'm a sous chef. They're like, "What? Get out of here, girl! <laughs> Where do you work at? You know." Um, I have a part-time job still working at Target, and my bosses have come in here to eat the food, and they think it's amazing, and they're so impressed that how well I'm doing in my life. How did the job happen? Well, Katrina, she's the director, like, as far as um, the job training and all of that, so she got my internship here. So I got to come and interview with Chef Oz first to see if he wanted me to intern at his restaurant. And we talked. I told him a little bit about my background experience as far as working in a kitchen, which is, I don't have experience working in a kitchen, but I do have experience working in a restaurant. I've worked in, um, for another rest, uh, Panda, and I learned how to do like things like a little bit of inventory, how to run the front of the house, cashiering and all that. But to work in a kitchen and literally be there and cooking everything by scratch and plating it so it looks nice and the quality and the taste of the food you know having all these responsibilities and um chef oz liked just our interview and um 
a couple of days later, before I started my interview, before I started my internship, he had told me that there's a possibility of a sous chef position to be open. We'll talk about it after the end of my internship. So my last day of my internship, Chef Oz and me sat down, and he offered me the job and asked me if I'd take it. And I said, yes! Tell me what you thought when he asked you that. Um, I felt scared, intimidated. Am I going to be able to do this? Maybe I shouldn't take it. Am I good enough to even take it? You know, all these things, of course, go back to like, how am I going to you know, measure up to the gentleman I'm replacing? How am I going to measure up to Chef Oz, who's, you know, the owner slash, you know, executive chef who comes up with all these great, you know, uh, recipes? How can, I don't know, but I gave myself a chance. And you got a key to the front door? I sure do. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel proud. It makes me feel respected and trusted. It's the most amazing feeling. And as a woman, I feel so beautiful just to wake up every day. I love putting my chef coat on. I feel so cool. <laughs> I feel I feel like I feel like I'm accomplishing something in my life. You know, at 40 years old, who would have thought? You know, it's never too late. Wow. I I can't even get over how eloquently that woman speaks. I mean, again, back to our preconceived ideas, you know, I have a vision of what she would have looked like when you originally described her past. And then all of a sudden you hear her speak and she sounds like the restaurant owner. It's incredible. I mean, I, I'm proud of her. I don't even know her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was amazing. And I have found much to my own edification as I've gone to a few kitchen for goods, uh, graduations that, that's not rare, you know, that a lot of these right. folks are just people that took a wrong turn, that right. had some bad luck, but that then made got a some poor again. choices. Yeah. But it didn't make them not smart or not intuitive or not vibrant or not someone that you want to say, wow. And we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to know your thoughts about what we've done, what you'd like for us to do. You can like us on iTunes. You can go to SoundCloud and leave your comments. You can also follow us on the Chef to Cuisine page on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you go to our website, sdchefs.org, you'll be able to listen to the podcast. You'll be able to leave responses. And we really would like to hear from you. And so now I'm Don Williamson. On the front burner, and... Hi, I'm Elaine Artizzoni, and we are going to have to see you next time. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. 
The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.